to look at some text today. I won't have you stand today since it's a shorter message, but Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 through 19 is what we're going to look at. So let me read the text here. It says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Uh, And the 24 elders who sat on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple, and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and heavy hell. What does this mean? The final act is here. The curtain call will soon be to follow. The seventh and final trumpet is getting ready to sound. For those of you who have been on this journey, you know what that means. As an angel, they, have, they are declaring, there is, the, the angel has come and declared there is no more delay. It's time for Christ to come back and restore everything back to its original uh, intended condition of paradise is upon us. There's no more waiting to be done. The sounding of a trumpet was a common way in that time frame for the coronation of a new king. In this case, the king isn't new, but he, Jesus Christ, is coming in his full glory to reclaim what is his. Heaven's on his tiptoes. It's been waiting for this moment for a very long time, for the long-held rebellion of the world uh, against God uh, to come to an end. This rebellion led by the current ruler of the world, Satan himself, who gained this power when man turned it over to him in the fall. Satan is known by many things in the scripture. He's the accuser, he's the adversary, he's Beelzebul, which is an interesting name. Add that to, of course, nobody adds names their kids after these names. Bilal, the dragon, that would be cool. Um, The evil one, God of this world, the prince and power of the air, the roaring lion, the ruler of demons, the ruler of this world, the serpent of old, the devil, Satan. He's not going down without a fight. In reality, God never lost any of his power, nor has he ever struggled against Satan. He's sort of like a little gnat on his shoulder. God is all-powerful. Satan is no challenge for him. Everything Satan gets to do for a season is allowed by God to accomplish his purposes on earth. Maybe you should say that God is toying with Satan, allowing him and those who follow him to feel like evil has won. And then God swoops in and he saves the day. Similar to how Jesus stayed in the tomb for three days and evil thought it had won. And then he rose from the dead. We've all been waiting for this. The kingdom of God has been waiting for this. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 2. And it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established at the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall, people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. 
Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Now let's go back to the text and refresh our memory. Verse 15 in chapter 11. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken, you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Now, if you remember, for those of you who have been on this journey with us through this book, you'll remember a key verse back in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, you'll notice on verse 17, it says it a little differently, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who, who is and who was, but it doesn't finish and say who is to come. Why? Because he's not to come anymore. He's here in this current context of time. Verse 18, the nation raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, prophets and saints, those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Just as one side dies eternally, the other side is rewarded eternally. There's no neutral party. In verse 19, then God's temple in heaven was opened in the Ark of the Covenant, which was a symbol of, uh, of, of his covenant with man. And the Ark of the Covenant was seen within this temple. There were flashes of lightnings, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hell. The seventh trumpet is a promise to believers of the end of the broken fellowship with God forever. And then this vision of, of God's temple being opened up. He's saying there's no more veil. There's no, there's no more covering. There's no more divide. It's going to be God and man together forever without there being any separation, the one that's caused by sin. God will be able, he, he will be in the garden in the cool of day, just like he was in the garden of Eden. Man and God will be able to commune without there being issues and problems in between because of the work of Christ. This is symbolic imagery pointing to this amazing moment. There's no more separation between God and man. This is a fulfillment of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Open communion between God and man will now be commonplace. It will be the norm. We talked about this last week. A lot of people, I, I fear that the reason why they sign up for salvation or they, they want to be saved is they want God to save them from a burning building and, and they want to live someplace eternally where there's no pain and there's no suffering and there's mansions and there's streets of gold and oh, there's all these things, right? Some, some are developed by tradition and some are actually in the Bible. 
But I wonder how many people actually just want to be with God because that's what this is about. It's not seeking more material things, just cosmic material things. It's seeking God himself. And I made the comparison last week. Would you still sign up for this if it meant that heaven wasn't a thing that you just wanted to be with God wherever he was? That you were so in love with the Father that that's what you wanted. That it wasn't about all the cool amenities, but it was about God himself and that you would follow him anywhere he would go. Because we're being tested with that right now in a world that's not heaven and a world that does come with suffering and does come with challenges. We're being challenged. Are we willing to follow Christ wherever he goes? And so the whole question is, do you want heaven or do you want God? Now, great news is they both come together. But what do you really want? Do you just want more fancy things just forever? Or do you want God? And that's the problem in a lot of our relationship and in our Christianity is we're, we want heaven, but we maybe really don't want God. But you can't get salvation without God. And that's an important part of it all. And, and so as the seventh trumpet blares and we see God's temple opening up and we see the Ark of the Covenant, this is the reason for the gospel, that man and God would be reunited. Not so that you could escape hell and go to heaven, it's so that you get to be with the Father. That once again, a relationship between God and man can be restored. Now that will, be, that will take place in the new heavens and the new earth eventually, and that will be amazing. And trust me, like God does not withhold his beauty and his glory, but all these things are for his beauty and his, his glory. And so you can't have heaven without God. What are we really chasing after? I would encourage you, friends, to chase after the Lord, to take him, not because of the amenities, not because of the promises. Know that that's part of who he is and that's part of his glory, but take him because of his character and who he is and because he first loved you. We love Christ because he first loved us. That he was willing to look at a rebel like you and I, somebody who said, well, that's the kingdom, that's the way. Forget that, I'm gonna go do things my own way. We were willing to rebel against the kingdom and he still came down and he put on flesh and he stood in our place and took our punishment. And now by faith, we receive the gift of eternal life and it was all paid for by God himself. 